Well, good evening once again, and welcome to Community Baptist Church. And thank you so much for finding it important to be in the house of the Lord yet a second time on this Lord's Day. And if you have your Bible, I'd love to invite your attention, please, to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. I'm going to start with reading a few verses there. We'll have a word of prayer and look into this a bit tonight. Acts chapter 1, let me direct your attention to verse 6. We're going to read from there down to verse number 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We'll end our reading there and let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you so much again for this day. Thank you for the spiritual opportunities that it has presented to us. Thank you for our class this morning and our worship service this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to enjoy food and fellowship through the day. We thank you now for the opportunity to be back in the house of the Lord. Father, we wait upon you. We know that we have needs in our lives and needs in our hearts. We also know that as we heard this morning, only you can really satisfy the deep longings and the deep needs that we have. Some are known to others, some are not, but we come tonight to confess that we are a needy people and to pray that you might open our hearts. And we are so weak and so frail of flesh, it is so easy for us to become distracted by things that really don't matter just now and would hinder us from perhaps receiving the blessing that you might have. You, you have brought us here, not by mistake, but by divine appointment. You have something for each of us if we will only open our hearts. And so I pray that you would just bless. Lord, be my portion tonight. Be my strength. I pray for a fresh cleansing of sin and a, a fresh sense of the presence of your Spirit. Even as we read just a moment ago in Psalm 81, if I open my mouth wide, may you fill it tonight. I do not want to be here on my own. I want to be here in your strength. And so, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer, I pray these things in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Well, we certainly live in a world that is absolutely filled with change. A lot of it is negative. A little of it may be positive. But it's especially troubling, I think, when we think about change, when we think about situations in which people have changed. Sometimes we've been gone from them for a while, and then we reconnect with them in one manner, and we find they aren't really the same person or the person we thought we knew before. Other times, we're sometimes in uh, contact with them on a somewhat regular basis, and then something happens, they do something, and we realize... You know, I didn't really know that person after all. I think back in years of ministry to the blessing and help that some of Josh Harris's books have been. 
you know, he was the one, the evangelical pastor who kind of got things started with the I Kiss Dating Goodbye book, and that was a, a help to a lot of people, whether or not you take everything there, but it was a, a book that was greatly helpful to people. And, and then he came out with another book that addressed a problem that a lot of us have, nobody really wants to talk about, and that is the, the thoughts that sometimes go through our minds and our actions that aren't holy and they aren't pure, and he entitled the book Not Even a Hint. And I've read that book several times, and I've given that book to many in the course of ministry as a help to them. And yet it hasn't been too terribly long ago, several years perhaps, that Josh Harris, the evangelical pastor, renounced his evangelical faith, renounced his faith in Christ. And now, for anybody who's foolish enough to follow in his miserable apostate pathway, he will offer you a course for a certain amount of money so that you can also deconstruct your Christian faith, just like he has done. What a disappointment that is. What a disillusionment when sometimes we have unknowingly perhaps had our eyes on people more than we've had them on the Lord. It introduces a question, I think, for us tonight. Is there really anything in this world that we can count on? Is there anyone who doesn't change? Is there anyone who doesn't disappoint? And I want to suggest to you three texts of Scripture tonight that describe the person who never changes, who never disappoints, and who never fails. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to find something that's kind of interesting about these three texts of Scripture that I've picked for the message tonight. You're going to find that they all use the word same, S-A-M-E, same. And in one version or another, at least, they do that. And then you're going to find that they all use the word or name Jesus. Now, if you think about his full titles, we refer to him as the Lord Jesus Christ, correct? That's everything. That's the full title. But when you talk about his personal name, it's Jesus. So look, for example, down at our text for a moment, and you might notice, and I don't have a clicker here. Did somebody, do I, can I get a clicker real quick? Because otherwise we're going to have problems. I don't have quite the technological advancement up here to have it by telepathy figure out what I'm going to do next. I am sorry, folks. I just forgot to get that off them. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, they all mention the word Jesus, and they all mention the word same in one way or another. Now, look, for example, down at the verse that we're going to be looking at, first of all, tonight, where it says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? And you notice that it uses Jesus, but it doesn't use the word same. This same Jesus well, it's kind of interesting uh, when you look at this in the King James Version, and I'm not, I'm not promoting one version over another tonight. I just think it's really interesting. I'm going to ask you a question in a minute when you look at this. So look at, the, look at I have it displayed there for you, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the ESV that we use says this Jesus, and the King James, and it's kind of interesting, the NIV does the same thing with this verse, has this same Jesus. So it sort of propounds the question, which one is right? And I have a simple answer for you to that question tonight. They both are. And that's really not trying to dodge the point. The ESV is more literal. If you look at the original, that's exactly what it says, this Jesus. But when you intuit just a bit what it is that the angels are really trying to say, and you look at their particular choice of words, 
then you realize that what they're trying and what the words in the original actually express is something along the lines of this very Jesus, not another. And so the King James' attempt to bring that out and to bring the sense of that, the really the force of that to bear, is to use the word same. So there's nothing wrong with either translation. They're both good at this point. So first of all, let's go back and look at the first thing that we're going to look at from Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Because what I want to do tonight is use these three texts to make three simple and very practical points to you. And if you don't get anything else out of the message tonight, just remember this same Jesus. That's the title of tonight's message. I want to say to you, first of all, from Acts 1.11, that he'll be the same when you meet him by and by. So that raises the question, what do you mean by when you meet him by and by? Well, there are two scenarios in which this would be true. I've chosen to use language that's maybe a little bit less than literal or that's poetic in a way because I want it to be more elastic. I want it to include these two thoughts. So you know what happens if we're not among the generation of living believers when Jesus comes back, we'll see him. It'll be by and by. That's a way that we like to phrase that. If he comes for us in death and we go that way, we'll see him by and by. But should we be a generation of the living believers when Jesus returns, then we'll see him in the clouds. And that'll be by and by. And that's what I mean by this phrase. If you don't mind, I've sort of introduced this thought to you tonight. You see where I'm headed with this. But I want you to be patient with me because I actually want to preach my way to this point. Once in a while, preachers do those things. They don't say everything right at the beginning. They just sort of work up to it. But there's too much about this text to pass up mentioning just a few things that ultimately lead to this point. They sort of build to this point that we're looking at here. First of all, I would point out to you that it's a fascinating text. Years ago when I was in school, I believe it was when I was in school, that was still years ago, but we were given this particular verse, Acts 1.11, as a memory verse to learn. I believe it was in Bible doctrines class. But whoever made the selections for those verses did a good job. This is a fantastic scripture text. This is among the mountain peaks of scriptures, not just because it describes a mountain peak event, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but because of what it says about that. And we'll work our way to this, but I want you to notice a couple of things about it. First of all, do you notice the appearance of angels? And what this text is describing when it says that Jesus was taken up is exactly what Pastor Andrew was referring to in the message this morning when it says in John chapter 6, Jesus posed that question, what, you, what, what will it be if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? And this doctrine is called the Ascension, and you don't hear many sermons on the Ascension, but we're going to get to something in a moment in Acts chapter 2 that will demonstrate just how important that doctrine is. And it's a doctrine that's actually mentioned more than you realize in the New Testament, the ascension of Christ. Well, so it should be kind of interesting to us that not only at the ascension of Christ, this momentous event in the life of Christ where he had come into the world, now he's going back to the Father. What about when he came into the world? That was a momentous occasion, wasn't it? And we're working our way towards that in the time of the year, right? Christmas, you remember this verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, that is the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. So on the occasion of his birth, angels heralded that. There's another momentous occasion. Luke seems to take a particular interest in this. I know you know that Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. Did that confuse you? 
but that's the case, and I know you know that. Luke seems to take a particular interest in this. And in this chapter 22, where we have a reference to Gethsemane, that's a momentous occasion in the life of Christ. The Bible says this, and Luke's the only one who tells us this. There appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. There's another occasion, and that's his resurrection. This is not going to be an exhaustive list, just enough to sort of make you think a little bit. And here were the women who'd come early to the tomb, and, you know, Mary Magdalene was among them, and several, and they came there, and they were perplexed because they were expecting to find the tomb sealed, and they had this idea that they were going to come and anoint the body, and, and they were perplexed about, well, who is going to roll the stone away? And they got where they could see, and the stone was rolled away. And while they were there, puzzled about what in the world was going on, it says in this verse, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Angels were present at his resurrection. Angels were present at his ascension. And one of the reasons for this is because, you know what? He is worthy of nothing less. He is the Lord of glory. He is Jesus Christ, the, the one who is very man of very man and very God of very God. And he is better, as the writer to the Hebrews tells us. He is better than angels. And so angels are there on these important occasions. They pay him homage. They pay him worship because he is, in fact, the Lord of glory. Well, there's another reason that this text is kind of a fascinating text. And here's where I think uh, what I really like to do with something like this is ask you to try to put yourself in their shoes or sandals, whatever. But there are four words in these three verses that are some type of a verb that means to see or to look. And yet they're all different. And a, a good commentary might that point that out for you, or if you have facility with the language, you can see that. Let's look at them because it's kind of an interesting progression of what goes on here. And I'll try to give you some explanation of this. But in verse 9, notice, it says, when he had said these things. So here they are standing there. They don't really know, other than the fact that Luke tells us again, provides this detail. He led them out as far as Bethany. They don't really know anything is going to happen in particular. I mean, they think it's another one of those post-resurrection appearances and Jesus is instructing them and they ask a question about the kingdom and he says, that's not for you to worry about. You worry about the commission that I've left with you. And he tells them this. While they are listening to him talk, all of a sudden, it's like Jesus begins to ascend into the clouds. And this verse says, while they were looking. I mean, they were looking right at him, listening to what he had to say. And while they were looking at him, now, this particular verb is just a simple verb. It means to look. I mean, it looks means to look. It means to see. And there's nothing, there's nothing really um, special about this particular word. That's all going to change for us because look at verse 10. It says here, while they were gazing into heaven. Now it changes words. Uses a different word. It still has basically the idea of to see or to look. But it's actually a word in the original that we take into English and get our word tension from. Or we don't, I, I think maybe there are occasions when we talk about eye tension, but more particularly we might talk about eye strain. So when you strain to see something, that's what this tension idea that's involved in this particular word. I, I mean, he's going up and they're just, ah, oh, like he's getting higher and higher and less and less visible. And, ah, it's like their eyes are straining to, to not to miss any particular detail of this. 
But it goes on. Verse 10 says, while they were gazing into heaven, that's our word straining, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking? Translated looking for us here, just like the one in verse number 9, but it's actually an, an intensive form of that word that's used in verse 9. So now what's going on is, is this is an intense looking. And then we come to the last verse, and this is really interesting because this is the only one that's in the past tense. This means that everything we've seen so far is designed by Luke and designed by the Holy Spirit to portray this picture to us of these men who were just looking at him as you and I would look at someone else that we were engaged in conversation with, and all of a sudden he begins to ascend and they're gazing and straining to see this. And then it says that while they were, stand, while they were looking on, I mean, this is the idea of to stare, this emphatic thing, they're staring. And finally we get to the end, and it uses a verb in the past tense when the angels begin to speak, when they say, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw. You just saw this. It's done. There's an act of finality in the, that statement. You saw him go into heaven. You don't see him anymore. And you and I are in those same ranks. We didn't see him go into heaven, but we don't see him. Well, when you put all of this together, these words have a way of depicting an indiv individuals who are just absolutely spellbound. I mean, have you ever found yourself that way? I mean, um, when I think about this, I think about being on a deer stand. I think about going into the woods in the dark yet of the morning before it's gotten to be light. Climbing up in that tree or in some other way entering that stand. And just as it begins to get a little bit of light, you hear something. And so you're straining. That's that second word. You're straining, trying to see what you can see. But it's not quite light enough yet. and You can't really see anything. And so you just have to let it go because you can't really see what you're looking at yet. And then you hear something again. And you're thinking to yourself and your heart's thumping, is that a deer moving around? And you keep looking and you keep looking. This is this intensive word. You're staring in the direction of that noise. And then it gets light enough and you can make out a form. Yeah, it's a deer. It has horns. Now I need to know something more because uh, Pennsylvania, you had antler point restrictions. So now I need to know how many are on a side. Now I'm watching. I'm not going to let my eyes go anywhere else. I'm going to watch that deer because I don't want to take a chance on missing a shooter. That's what these guys are doing. This just makes this absolutely fascinating, this description, this description and this word picture that Luke presents for us here of these men. Now you notice something else. Not only is it a fascinating text, but this is unique. And again, this is something I have to work through because you can't leave this text of Scripture. It's not enough just to talk about what we want to talk about because it's tied to something else. This text is unique because not only are angels present, but angels actually interpret the event. Now think about what you typically have in the Bible when you have narrative. That's what's going on here. A story is being told. 
Think about a New Testament story. Think about an Old Testament story. It doesn't really matter. When you have narrative going on, someone's telling you a story, no one is there to interpret that event for you and tell you what it means. Usually the story itself lends the insight that you need to figure out what it means. But God doesn't want to leave this to chance. And unfortunately, there are lots of people who have gotten the idea and the doctrine of Jesus' second coming Oh, a little bollocked up. And I'm not trying to say I'm smarter than they are, but I do see some things in this text that I think God wants to be sure and sends His angels to be sure those men understand. And years later, as you and I read this, to be sure that we understand exactly the promise that's been given to us. And that promise is that it just in the same way, He doubles down in the language because there's not only a word or two words actually in the text that say in the same manner, But there's another word that says thus, and it means in the same way. So he doubles down to make that point. It's not just that it's the same Jesus. It's that he's going to come in the very same way that you saw him leave. What's that? Well, he's coming visibly. I'm looking forward to that if I happen to be among the living. He's coming bodily. I want to see him, don't you? He's coming personally. There's no mistaking this. There's no chance for the disciples to think, well, all right, a few days hence when he's gone and the Holy Spirit comes, that's what he meant. This is the second coming of Christ. Oh, no, my friend, the coming of the Holy Spirit is not the second coming of Christ. And there are those who try to interpret it that way. It's not true. It's the same Jesus is coming the same way he left. And that's visibly, bodily, and personally. Now, I... I said that word personally at the last on purpose because we have here a unique text, a fascinating text, but look, we have a text that's deeply personal. This very Jesus, this is the heart of what they're saying to these men. It's not going to be someone else. I want you to put yourself again in their shoes, which is why I've sort of labored to do some of this. These guys have had a rough six weeks. Now, think about that. You, you can still do some math. You know 6 times 7 is how much? 42, right? Still is? 42. All right. How long was Jesus' post-resurrection ministry? 40 days. So we'll, we'll just say 6 weeks. 6 weeks plus. These guys had a rough 6 weeks. I mean, think about this. They'd left the nets. That was their livelihood. In Matthew's case, he left the toll booth. That was his livelihood. The other ones left. They all left. They left whatever it was they had because this man, Jesus, came and called them. And they came to believe in Him as the Son of God. Just like Peter made that great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And He was their spokesman and He was saying exactly what they were coming to believe and what they did believe. That was their faith. It's the faith on which the Christian church is built. They had a personal relationship with Jesus. You and I have a personal relationship with Jesus as we've come to know Him. We've come to know Him. We've read about Him. We've loved Him. We've served Him. And the angel wants these guys to know, you know what, you lost Him a little over 40 days ago. This person that you devoted three and a half years to, you lost Him. I mean, if you think about how they must have felt when they saw Him crucified on that cross. I mean, they were still, even on this occasion, they were absorbed with the kingdom. They couldn't get this idea. Well, you know, they were just good Jews. They read the Old Testament. 
They just couldn't get this idea of the kingdom and the king and the glory of the kingdom and the Davidic king and all of this. It's all biblical. It's all scriptural. They just could not get that out of their, out of their thinking. They're still thinking about that. They still don't really understand everything he's tried to say to them. They've lost him, but they've regained him in the resurrection. And now he had been with them for 40 days. Do you think you could kind of get used to that? I mean, I don't think it means that Jesus was with them as he was during his prior ministry. It appears to us from what we can see in the Scripture that he came and went. But he was still with them and they became utterly, absolutely, Luke says it here, he showed himself to them by many infallible proofs. They became absolutely convinced that their faith was dead solid, that this Jesus Christ that they had come to know was in fact Lord and Christ. He had risen from the dead. And they were going to do exactly what He said and go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature on His command and on His authority. And now they go out for a brisk walk. And He's talking to them like He has before. And He's teaching like He has before. And they stop. And all of a sudden, He ascends. They strain to see until they can't see Him any longer. He's disappeared into the clouds. They're so spellbound by this that they don't even notice that two angels have appeared. That's going some. And the angels want them to understand, you know what? You lost Him again, but you haven't. For time in the, in the bodily sense. For time in the visible sense. But this same Jesus shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. You know, he tried so hard, I think, if we can express this humanly, to prepare them for this. He told them what it was going to happen. John sixteen twenty eight. This is as late as the upper room discourse. He says to them, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? They didn't get it. He said to Mary, as late as the 20th chapter of John, right after the resurrection, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending. It's the ascension. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. You know, they were just, they were like us. They just didn't get it. And they're still absorbed with the kingdom. They said, are you going to do it at this time? Is this when it's going to happen? But I just think you put yourself in their shoes for a moment and you realize that what God has given us here is not only those three things that I've presented to you so far, but a text of true assurance. Not going to lose anything. You left your nets. You left your toll booth. All to follow this man called Jesus. You listened to Him preach. You listened to His teaching. You saw Him work miracles. You saw Him do all these things. You saw Him and listened to Him as He instructed you personally. And now He's gone. But you don't have to let your hearts be troubled because this same Jesus and not another will so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. I tell you, beloved, if we can just get a hold of that, it will do something for you. It will do something real for you. I got up this morning, and like every other morning, I grabbed my phone from beside the bed where it sat there and charged all night and talked to Apple. And I went out into the living room and got my iPad. 
I confess I've gotten where I read my Bible reading on it. I got my iPad and I got my coffee and I'm sitting there and I always look at my phone first. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But, you know, I always, it just always occurs to me, what if somebody tried to contact me during the night? I guess it's too many years of doing that. And I looked and there was a text message from our daughter Ruth. And it had a picture with it. I thought, what in the world? And she told us that a woman, I've known her since I went to Pennsylvania and took that ministry. She had a five-plus year battle with cancer. And yesterday, she succumbed to it. And she was in the hospital. And one of the things that she liked to say over and over again was, no matter what, God is good. And her son had taken a picture of that. And the husband who got on Facebook to have to tell everybody that she had died, she had gone to be with the Lord, and started off by saying, you know, this is not me. I don't do this. I, I can identify with that. I, I don't do that. I'm, I, I'm not used to that. I, I communicate other ways. But lots of people are really into that. He, it's awkward, you know. He, I, it's a, this is just not me. I, and he... And he gave a short little summary of what had happened. And then he said, Kyle took this picture. It was the sign outside of her room. No matter what happens, God is good. And I saw that text. And I thought about this same Jesus. And I started to pray. I said, Lord... Those people need your comfort. Those boys have lost their mother. That man has lost his husband. Her, his wife. This dear widow lady who has seen her husband go home to be with the Lord now has a daughter go home to be with the Lord. The husband's mother who has seen her husband go home to be with the Lord, who has seen her other son, this husband's brother, go home to be with the Lord, who has seen his wife succumb to cancer and go home to be with the Lord. Those people need to know you're the same Jesus. What kind of Jesus is that? The same Jesus that David was talking about when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear any evil because you're with me. You're on in the staff. They comfort me. The same Jesus. It was in that crowd that day when that woman came up and was concerned about an issue of blood. But she interrupted something that was in progress. She interrupted that fact that those people had come from Jairus to say, Jairus had come to say, Come, my daughter's at the point of death. Jesus got there and there was all this hoopla. There was all the mourning going on. And He said something to the effect that she's not dead, just sleeping. And they all laughed Him to scorn. They knew she was dead. He put them all out. He took Peter, James, and John, the three that formed the inner core that He took with Him. He took those parents. He walked into that room where that little girl was laid out on that bed. And He walked up to her and He said these Aramaic words, Talitha kumi. 
It means, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And that girl rose and he presented her to her parents. His saying, Jesus. I see him that day as he walked into a little town called Nain. He interrupted a funeral procession. They were coming out carrying the beer, as it says in the Bible. It's not a drink. It's like a slab. This woman was a widow lady. We're told that by Luke. She was not only a widow lady, but this was her only son. This means that everything basically had been taken from her. This, 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 she's like a New Testament Naomi. Everything's gone. And this funeral procession is coming out. These people are carrying this slab on which this young man is, and Jesus walks up and He stops the funeral. You have to sort of have something going on to do that. He walked up and the Bible says He touched the beer. There's just something about the touch of Jesus. And He said to him, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. Two troubled sisters came to Jesus, a little bit reproachfully in fact. They both said to Him, as close as they were, as many times as He'd spent with them, having dinner at their house, fellowshipping with them, they both came to Him and they both said, Lord, if You'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus just sort of groaned. They took Him to the tomb. All this stuff going on. He said some simple words, but words with a lot of power. Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says, He that was dead came forth, bound with the grave clothes. He had to say, loose him and let him go. And in my prayer, I, the Bible says, Jesus wept. And in my prayer, I said, Lord, these people need to know you're the same Jesus. You're the same one that did all those things for all those people. You can assure them right now that you're the same Jesus. Would you do that? I'm telling you, there's not going to be any disappointment. Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus doesn't change. Jesus doesn't let anybody down. And when you see Him, when I see Him, it'll be the same Jesus. And there's only one caveat. As long as the Jesus in your head and in your heart is the Jesus of the Bible. If you know Him off the pages of the Bible, I'm telling you right now, everything you come to expect, He'll be that and more. But we have to move on. We have a second verse. Let's turn to chapter 2, verse 36. I'm going to read this verse and then I have some things to sort of work our way to it once again. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Now, the text says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God hath made Him both Lord and Christ. Do you see something the same about this in Acts 1.11? This Jesus. And once again, you have this inconsistency between the translations. Watch this. There it is in the King James. And you'll see the King James again. One's more literal, one's more intuitive. They're both good. Look what it says. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same 
Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. See, this is dramatically different now. The audience is different. The speaker angels. This is Peter. He's delivering his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And to whom is that sermon being delivered? Essentially to unbelieving Jews. Go back to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As yourselves know, this Jesus. Let's drop down to verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Brothers, he's addressing the Jewish nation. Drop down to verse 32. This Jesus. Sound familiar? This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let And here's our text. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, that God has made Him, who? This Jesus, both Lord and Christ, the same One you crucified. What's going on? Well, what's going on is is that you see, this was the stone that the builders rejected. Think of that image for a moment. You're a builder, and they deliver some two-by-fours and some two-by-sixes to the building site. Somebody's going to hold you accountable for what that thing looks like. In fact, the guy you're building it for is likely to come and look. He's like me every day. See what's going on. You've got a bunch of bowed studs. You've got a bunch of faulty lumber. And so he looks at it, and he says, uh-uh makes the lumber company come pick it up and bring lumber that passes the test. That's what's going on in this text, except they built with stones. And the leaders of the Jewish nation and all the people who were supposed to know the Scriptures and all that kind of stuff, they looked at Jesus and they said, you know what? He's like a stone that doesn't... It's second rate. It's third rate. We wouldn't use this in the temple. So this is a text of warning. And Jesus had tried to warn them about him himself because he was the very one who brought that scripture to bear. Look at Matthew 21:42. Jesus said unto them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is exactly what Acts 2:36 is saying. He's become both Lord. He is shown to be by his resurrection both Lord and Christ. He's become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. Somebody would come along in a few chapters in the book of Acts and realize it's awfully difficult to kick against the pricks. He tried to warn them. Do you know somebody who had ears on that day was Peter. He had ears on, but maybe he didn't totally understand it. There's a lot of things they heard Jesus say they didn't remember and they didn't understand. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came 
Not to mention the fact that Jesus himself opened the Scriptures and opened their eyes that they might understand the Scriptures, that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and then to be raised from the dead. All of that we're told in Luke chapter 24. And so it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that when Peter writes his epistle, he's got ears on. He's got this same Scripture, this same one Jesus taught them. And he said to his readers, you know, it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, he said. He tried to warn them. This is a text of warning tonight, beloved. Because you know what? What's going to happen is this same Jesus that people have rejected, this same Jesus whom people have looked at, and I don't have anything to do with that. That'll be the one you answer to one day. He'll be the same when you meet him in judgment, if that's when you meet him. Paul brings this thought really to bear when he says, you know, he didn't think it something to be, he didn't think it robbery, he didn't th- think it equality to, to, to grasp at that. He took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself. You know this scripture, but look where it ends up. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. What's that name? That at the name of, say it, Jesus, at the name of Jesus, this same Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They realized there were many of them that day in that crowd realized they were in a world of hurt. What are we going to do? Well, same thing I'm going to tell you if you don't know Him as your personal Savior, and up to this point, you have never received Him as your personal Savior, puts you on the rejection side of the equation, whether that's what you really mean to be doing or not. It puts you on the rejection side, not the side of receiving, not the side of accepting. If that condition persists in your life, and you go out of this world in that condition, and you die in your sins, you will meet Him. And it will be the same Jesus that you heard about in a service at Community Baptist Church or in some other context or that your mother or father tried to tell you about. It will be the same one, but you'll meet Him in judgment. What are you going to do if you find yourself in that position tonight? Same thing Peter told them to do. It says in verse 37, some of them realized they were in a world of hurt. They heard that. They were cut to the heart. And they, and Peter, they said to them, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. That's what you need to do tonight. Acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner who needs to be saved. Acknowledge that Jesus is God's Son. He died on the cross for your sins. And if you will repent and believe the Gospel, He will save your soul. This same Jesus. I don't have a lot of time to tell this story. And it's not a flattering one. But it will help me make my point. You know, I remember an occasion when I was a teenager. 
I wasn't a Christian at that point, and I had some friends that weren't, well, you know, they were just friends, and they weren't Christians either. So I heard their language, and I heard the language of kids at school. One day I sat down at a breakfast table with my mom and my dad, and I I don't know why this is such a vivid memory, but we had soft-boiled eggs. Now, this part, I don't totally know whether I cracked the thing and it spilled out or whether I cracked it and it was hot and burnt me. But I do remember what I did next. I uttered the name of Jesus as an exclamation. And I was seated at one end of a little breakfast nook table and my dad was right across from me, just like I'm looking at that exit sign right now. And I mean his expression went from day to night when I said that. And he called me on it. And I squirmed around. I don't think I was totally honest, to be truthful. I squirmed around. He said, that means you've been saying it. And I said, no, Dad, it just means I've been around people that were saying it. Well, they were both true. I talked my way out of that one. But I'm just really glad to tell you tonight, I'll never answer for that. I'll never be held accountable for that. Even though it hurts me to tell you that I did that, and that probably wasn't the only time, I'll never have to answer for that. Because I'm not going to meet Him in judgment. Not the judgment for my sins, because there came a time when I received Him into my heart as my personal Savior, and He forgave me that sin and all the other ones. That's the Jesus people are going to meet someday. And people who have thrown His name out. And people have used His name as a swear word. And people who have belittled Him, denied His deity, and denied the efficacy of His work on the cross. It's that same Jesus they'll stand before. We've got to see one other thing real quick. He'll be the same when you meet Him in the morning. I'm using poetic language again. What do I mean by that? Well, you can just take it to mean that I mean tomorrow. Where are we going to find that? Well, let's just go over to the book of Hebrews just as quickly as we can get those pages turned. How about that? Hebrews 13.8. I want you to see it. Because here's what's happening. You read the book of Hebrews and you're just kind of reading along, you know, and you hit that chapter 11, the hall of faith, and you read about all those people. Woo, that's great. And he gets to chapter 12 and he starts talking about this great cloud of witnesses. And you realize, oh, he's talking about all those people who, who were testified to by their faith. That they had of God a good report. And then he gets to chapter 13. He's going along just, you know, the way a lot of times New Testament epistles will close with just some general exhortations of one kind or another. And all of a sudden, you're reading along. He's talking about marriage, verse number 4, all this kind of stuff, purity. He talked about greed in verse number 5, keep your life free from the love of money. And boom, out of nowhere in verse 8, it just says this, Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday and today and forever. Where'd that come from? Is that out of context? Or is that just, I mean, you know, that just like how you go along and it doesn't seem to fit. doesn't seem to fit. Why did he drop that on us? Until I back up to verse number 7. And get the context and realize, here's what he's talking about. He says, remember your leaders. Now, before you go any further in the verse, let me show you something else. Drop down. You saw that much already. Drop down to verse 17. 
in that same chapter, and you'll find another reference, obey your leaders. So leaders are mentioned the second time in the chapter. Then when you get to the end, verse number 24, they're mentioned the third time, greet all your leaders. But here's the tricky thing, and here's the thing you've got to read really carefully to pick up. The leaders in verse 7 aren't the same people as in verse 17 and 24. Well, they're leaders, all right, but the leaders in verse 7 aren't with them any longer. Look at the past tenses that he uses. Back to verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Spoke. Consider the outcome of their way of life. That's a metaphor for death. Consider the end of those and imitate their faith. These are the people that have been our mentors. These are the people who have been our leaders. These are the people that told us about Jesus for the first time. And now we've gone along and they've gone along and those people have gotten older and some of them have gone to be with the Lord. And you know what? Those two texts that we looked at so far, they were mountain peaks. One's talking about the second coming and the other's talking about the judgment. This is right down in the nasty now and now. This is just right down in the valley where everybody lives. Because why is that? Because change is always with us. And some of it's uncomfortable. Some of it we don't like. But you know what? Leaders come and leaders go. Somebody has aptly said, God buries His workmen, but continues His work. And you know what? It's really important, those of us that are on the stage now, I used to say it all the time, I still think of it, it it helps me just to understand, you know what? I've been allotted a certain amount of time on the stage of life. But there's coming a day when the curtain's coming down. And then I won't be here anymore. I remember like it was yesterday, the day I stood in the pulpit in the ministry in Pennsylvania And I forgot what I was preaching on. I do remember saying this. You know, the day is going to come when I will preach my last sermon in this pulpit. You know, that day came. And the day will come when we walk off this earthly stage and that curtain falls and we have to turn it over. And I couldn't be more thankful for any two things in this world apart from knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Savior than number one, the woman God gave me, And number two, the fact that all my kids, they know Christ, they know the Lord, they're active in their churches, they're in positions of leadership in their churches, they know Him. And I won't be afraid, even though there's not every little point that sometimes my boys and I don't see eye to eye on. They've got what counts. And I don't have any problem turning it all over to them because they know the Lord. And the same Jesus that was with me every day, every trial, every problem is the same Jesus tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that and the next day after that. Generations come and generations go, but the same Jesus is always there to be with His people. So you go back to that great cloud of witnesses and you know what? The same Jesus that was with Abel when he knew better than to disobey God and he offered the sacrifice that God had specified when Cain did not do that. It's the same Jesus. 
The same Jesus that was with Abraham when he left Ur the Chaldees to go out into a land that he didn't even know where he was going, much less have a reservation at Motel 6. The same Jesus that was with him every step of the way. And then we think about Moses. He spends a lot of time on Moses. And you know, when you get over in the New Testament, Paul says really something interesting about those experiences in the wilderness. He says, for they drank of that rock that followed them. And that rock was, do you know the next word? Christ. It was the same Jesus that let that water gush out of that rock, that dropped that bread on them every day. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus that met him there in that burning bush and told him, go and I will be with your mouth. And he was. It's the same Jesus that was with Gideon when he couldn't summon the faith to do what God wanted him to do. And he said, well, what about the fleece? And he said, okay, go ahead. And he wrung out the water. He said, well, what about tomorrow night? Can you do the same thing in reverse? And he did that. And God was with him. Jesus was with him to turn him in from the weakling that he was into that mighty man of valor. One of them went into a fiery furnace. Three of them did. In the book of Daniel, another one went in the lion's den. He was with them. And I'm telling you something tonight, beloved. This is what we've got to get a hold of. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I don't know what you're going to have to face. I don't know what your problems are. I don't know what mine are going to be tomorrow because I might get up tomorrow morning and do just what I told you and look at my phone and there might be something really not so good according to the way we look at things. But the same Jesus. When I meet Him tomorrow, even though I don't feel saved till I drink my coffee, He's the same Jesus. No matter what scrape I face, no matter what problem I have, you'll be the same. You know, I have to close with this, but you know what? There are so many verses in the Bible that talk about seeing Him. I don't have time but for one. I have to use this to close. But in that little letter, First John, he was one of those three. He had something to say about that. He says, you know, um, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him. King James says, as He is. I didn't look at the ESV. As He is. But when you look at the Greek, it's an intensified word, and it would have this force. For we shall see Him just as He is. He'll be the same one you read about in the Bible. He'll be the same one that met you in every trial. He'll be the same one that met you in every blessing. It'll be the same Jesus. Be the same Jesus when we see Him by and by. He'll be the same Jesus if you meet Him in judgment. And He'll be the same Jesus when you meet Him in the morning.